This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, chapter 12. We're looking, we're looking this morning at verses 1 through 14. Hear the Word of God. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your grace and for your Spirit's help as we study your word this morning. Pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John Murray was for many years professor of uh, systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. When Murray finished his uh, theological training at Princeton Seminary in the mid-1930s, he hoped to return to his home denomination in Scotland. The presbytery there in Scotland, however, was concerned about views that Murray held. During his time in seminary, he had an internship in a church in Canada. And while he was there, a matter arose, and he sided with his senior minister in the views that his senior minister held of that situation. He agreed with his senior pastor that it was acceptable for people, if they had some distance to travel to church, that it was acceptable to use the streetcar. 
it was acceptable to use public transportation if they needed to. Now, John Murray himself would not ride the streetcar. He saw that as employing others on the Sabbath day, and in his views of the Sabbath, that was not acceptable. So in his conscience, he could not ride the streetcar, but he decided that if others' conscience allowed them, then that was permissible if it allowed them to get to worship. Well, back in his own presbytery, questions were raised about Murray's holding that view. Questions that held up his appointment to a church, his calling to a church and an ordination in the denomination of which he was a part because he held these views. Not that he himself would ever do it, but he held these very views. And so God providentially used that as he did other things to bring Murray to his life's calling as a theology teacher at Westminster Seminary. Uh, for a good part of the 20th century and to membership in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in the U.S. Ligon Duncan, pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi, tells of uh, during his days of study in Scotland, uh, after attending uh, worship in the church he attended there, an elder of the church correcting him for whistling on the Lord's Day. Ligon Duncan was so excited he called a friend afterwards to tell him about it. Well, although such strict Sabbatarianism may seem completely foreign to us, actually uh, there are ties of some of that to old Peachtree. Mary Alice Juhan was for many years a member of this church, went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Uh, Except for periods of her education, uh, she lived pretty much her whole life, a block off the square, just north of the square there in Lawrenceville. Many years ago when a movie theater started showing movies on Sunday, Mary Alice was so incensed, she went and threw a brick through their front window in protest. Well, ever since the first Resurrection Sunday, Christians have met on the first day of the week, not the seventh, but the first, the day that our Westminster Confession refers to as the Christian Sabbath. And more than merely as the seventh day commemorating God's rest from his work of creation, it commemorates our new creation in Christ. And the day is a gift, one day in seven, where we can do absolutely nothing productive, guilt-free, or at least as the world would deem productive. It's a day that God has given us to rest from our labors and the cares of our week, to rest our souls in God, uh, to grow in our relationship with him. Now, regardless of your application of the Sabbath law, the Sabbath uh, fourth commandment, unless we reckon that commandment to be no longer in effect, in which case you have nine commandments at the most, not ten, unless we consider that commandment null and void, we must live differently on the Sabbath day than on other days. It must be a day that is different from the others, a day that is set apart, a day that is, in the meaning of that word set apart, holy. But how? How do we keep the day holy? Now, the Old Testament particularly is clear that it is a day that we are to cease from commerce, cease from our employments of the week. But what may we do? What is prohibited? What is allowed? Well, that was a a question that uh, people in Jesus' own day wrestled with, as do devout and conscientious Christians to this very day. What, What is acceptable on the Lord's day? Well, the Pharisees answered those questions uh, with an extensive system of rules, meticulously and painstakingly governing Sabbath behavior. 
Unfortunately, they began to confuse this system of rules with God's law and in time began to equate their rules, which were applications of God's law, with God's law itself. And therefore, to see them not only binding on themselves by their conscience, but as something to bind others with, something that applied to others that they were to be held with. Uh, And so they lost sight of the original purpose of the Sabbath day, which was to be a blessing, which was to be a joy, which was to be a help. They buried it and lost it under an avalanche of intricate regulations so that it became a burdensome, joyless ordeal. Calvin, in his commentary, puts it this way. John Calvin, the uh, 16th century French pastor, and reformer, he said of them, the keeping of the Sabbath was indeed a holy thing, but not such a manner of keeping it as they imagined, so that one could scarcely move a finger without making the conscience to tremble. And the biggest problem came to be that the Pharisees were more concerned about their rules than they were concerned about people. Well, in this passage, the Pharisees criticized Jesus for his actions on the Sabbath. Let me say that again. The Pharisees criticized Jesus for his actions on the Sabbath. I mean, they're, they're, they're gall in telling God how to keep his own Sabbath. Imagine. However, Jesus allows this as an opportunity to teach us about the Lord's Day. And the main principle that Jesus teaches us here is this. Keeping the Lord's Day holy does not rule out taking care of our own needs and the needs of others. Or to put it in the language of our confession, the Lord allows here works of necessity and mercy. Well, first of all, according to what Jesus teaches here, we are permitted to carry out works of necessity, deeds of necessity on the Lord's day. Now, this scene opens with Jesus and his disciples walking along together, making their way through a grain field. It was a Sabbath day. Uh, perhaps the noon hour was approaching. Lunchtime was drawing near, and, and who knows, maybe it was James and John uh, who noticed some thunderous rumblings coming from their stomachs. And almost without thinking, as they're walking through a grain field, they reach over, pluck a few heads of grain, and begin to, to sort out the, the wheat, the grain, and to eat them. Uh, some tasty whole wheat, healthy, good stuff to eat. Well, verse 2, but... When the Pharisees saw it, sometimes we read our Bibles too quickly. It's one of the benefits uh, of, of, for me and my preparation of, of making my own translation of the passage from Greek in this case, or Hebrew in the Old Testament, is it forces, uh, forces me to begin to read it very slowly. And when I'm trying to translate it, I'm reading very slowly. But we do well to sit down, to slow down and think about what we're reading. When the Pharisees saw it, what were they doing? Following him? You know, did they just pop up out of the wheat and say, we saw that, you know, the Sabbath enforcement committee on the job. Uh, We caught you. You know, how how did that, when the the Pharisees saw it, you know, or maybe they were just walking along with them. Maybe there was a, a bigger crowd involved, including some of the Pharisees. Um. You know, they just pop up with this look of smug victory on their faces. Well, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, that's a serious charge. They are violating the law of God by eating some of this grain. 
Well, actually, what they were doing in and of itself was lawful. Deuteronomy 23.25 couldn't be more plain. It says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Now, this was a provision, a merciful provision that God had given with the poor, obviously, in view. That if, if somebody had a field of wheat and someone came along, they could just by hand pluck a few of the grains of wheat to eat. They could do that. Couldn't go in with a combine and start har- harvesting, you know, the guy's wheat or even a sickle, you know, wholesale taking his wheat. That'd be stealing, but it certainly wasn't going to be a great loss for him if they plucked a few by hand and, and ate them. And so certainly what the disciples did was lawful on that, that count, but that's not what the Pharisees meant, was it? They said it's not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus basically gives them three reasons justifying uh, his disciples, justifying what they did. The first reason Jesus gives them saying this was okay is it had to do with David, King David. Before he was king, while he was still running from the murderous King Saul, David and his men came to the village of Nob and to Ahimelech, the priest who was there. And they were hungry, and they asked Ahimelech, for something to eat, asked if he had some provisions for them. And he said, well, no. He said, I don't have any common bread on hand. All I have is this holy bread, the, uh, the, the showbread, the bread of the presence that was placed each day fresh uh, in the temple or the, the tabernacle of the Lord or in this particular shrine, this place of worship, while it was still pretty decentralized. And the priest alone had the right to eat that bread the next day. The, 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 the day-old bread would be replaced with fresh bread, and the priests had the right, the prerogative, to then to take for their own use the bread that was removed, his offering to the Lord. And so Ahimelech says, all I've got is you know, this, this holy bread that was for the priests alone to eat. Well, since that was all he had, Ahimelech gave that bread to David and to his men. And Jesus acknowledges that, strictly speaking, it wasn't lawful for David and his men to do it, and yet he cites that with approval as a way of defending his disciples. Well, another case, he cites in in verses 5 and 6, look at verses 5 and 6, where the priests profane the Sabbath while going about their duties, and yet they're guiltless. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Uh, they were they were in a sense working, you know. They were doing what their vocation was on the Sabbath, but it was okay because what they were doing had to do with the service of God, with the with the uh, ongoing work of the religious system there in in Israel. Which, by the way, is how preachers get away working on Sunday. Uh, it is a work of necessity for the. Uh, worship of God. And so he says in one sense they were profaning it by going on about their regular duties, uh, and yet it was okay. It had to be done. And he says now someone greater than the temple is here. And these disciples are in the presence of the one who is the embodiment of the temple, who is God with us. Well, then a third reason Jesus gives is actually a quotation from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which, as Jesus quotes it in there in verse 7, uh, I desire mercy, and not, he says, if you had known what this means, which comes kind of like saying you don't know your Bibles, uh, kind of a jab at them. Uh, you know, don't you know what this means? You're supposed to know your Old Testament. Well, he wouldn't have called it that. You're supposed to know your Bible. Uh, but what it says is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
The second half of that verse, by the way, in Hosea 6, goes on to say, I desire the nod rather than burnt offerings. What Jesus is saying, in other words, is that God doesn't want some empty shell of religious activity. He wants your heart. Now, yes, God ordained the sacrifices. Yes, God ordained the burnt offerings. But those were to be an an outward expression of an inward devotion to God. What had happened was those had become merely an empty routine with no heart for God. If we just go through the motions, God will be pleased. And that's why Jesus cites this verse. That was a problem he had with the Pharisees on other occasions. You know, where he calls them whitewashed tombs. They look nice on the outside and they're dead on the inside. Well, he quotes the Old Testament here. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says, if you had understood that, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And then, pulls rank. There in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, he is the God whose Sabbath it is. He is the one who has the right to say what is and what isn't a violation of the Sabbath. And with the authority possessed only by God himself, Jesus says his disciples have not violated the Lord's day. They've not violated the Sabbath. They may have broken the Pharisees' rules, may have broken or violated their particular application of the Sabbath, which they apparently held to in their conscience, But Jesus is saying they have by no means broken God's law. They have not violated the Sabbath by picking and eating a few heads of grain to satisfy their own hunger on the Lord's day. What Jesus is saying here is this. Doing those things that meet human needs or serve the furtherance of the kingdom are certainly acceptable on any day, the Lord's day included. Suppose your child is sick, run out of medicine. Do you go to the store or not? Well, you know, it's the Sabbath day. I don't want to go out and engage in commerce. Well, yes, you go get the medicine because your child is sick, because your child needs the medicine, because that is an expression of mercy for your child. That's a very different thing from going to the mall on Sunday afternoon and spending money like it was Wednesday. Very different thing. It's meeting a need. It's showing mercy. Jesus referred to the priests profaning the Sabbath by their labors, and yet they're guiltless. I'll I'll admit to you, Sunday is probably my most tiring day. Sunday is anything but physically a day of rest for me and for most preachers. Uh, Are we profaning the Lord's day in in one sense? Yes, because it's not a very restful day. But on the other hand, no, because what we do in preaching is... Part of what is entailed in the Lord's Day, what is to take place on the Lord's Day, part of the purpose it was given to begin with. Mark, uh, in his account of this incident, recalls something Jesus said that Matthew doesn't include. Jesus in this also said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was to be a gift for us. We're not given as slaves to serve the Sabbath day. Again, Calvin puts it this way. The general meaning is that those persons judge amiss who turn to man's destruction the Sabbath which God appointed for his benefit. The Pharisees were doing just that. It had become a burdensome, terrifying, destructive thing. You know, can't wait for that day to be over with so we can have a life again. Well, that's a wrong view. And and people who make it that uh, 
have judged amiss, as, as, as Calvin says, the Sabbath which God appointed for our benefit, for our well-being. So works of necessity are allowable on the Sabbath, but Jesus also goes on second to say we're permitted to carry out deeds of mercy on the Lord's day. The next passage, we have Jesus going into a synagogue. Curiously, the, the pronoun there, he entered their synagogue. Then he would say the synagogue. He says entered their synagogue, the Jews, the Pharisees, we don't know. But when he's there, he comes in and he encounters a man who has a shriveled and, and withered hand, some sort of palsy, some sort of disease there. And so they ask him, presumably again the Pharisees, they ask him a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Not because they were interested in information, not because they wanted to have a, uh, a serious discussion, but they ask him this because they want to accuse him. You know, you get the idea they already have a sense of what Jesus is going to say, and they just want him to say it so they have the opportunity to accuse him, being a Sabbath breaker. It was a trick question, a loaded question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, think about it. Is that lawful? Is it lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath? In other words, if someone is suffering, it's in your power to relieve suffering, and you do, in fact, act to relieve that person's suffering, and it's a Sabbath day. Is God displeased with you? Suppose on your way home from work today, you encounter someone who's just been in a traffic accident. And you do what you can to help them. And you've called 911 and you wait with them until the ambulance arrives. You violated the Sabbath. That's the kind of question, in a sense, they were asking Jesus. Well, they were hoping to accuse him. Well, Jesus answers with a question of his own to help them think about what it is they're asking. Well, if you have a sheep... You have this animal, and the sheep falls into a pit. Will you not take hold of the sheep? Well, won't you grab him and, and lift him out? Well, of course they would. They knew they would. They'd do it in a heartbeat. They'd do it without thinking. This is their property. This is their possession. And if they don't do it out of compassion for the animal, they do it because out of for economic reasons. Uh, but they would certainly do it. And so Jesus says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? What he didn't say was of how much more value is a man than your rule. So Jesus says it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He just states it in bold-faced terms, giving us authoritative divine commentary on the fourth commandment. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And to drive the point home, he heals the man's hand right there in their face. Kind of an exclamation point on it. It's always acceptable to perform an act of kindness or mercy to another person, even on the Sabbath. My father is a retired doctor, and uh, most Sunday mornings he would be up early to go to the hospital to make rounds, or what one child once described as making circles. Uh, circles or rounds, he went to the hospital and, and did it. He would go and, and see his patients, make sure they were okay. Uh, on emergencies, he would go to the hospital. He would operate on Sundays. His office wasn't open on Sunday. He didn't keep office hours, but he would check on his patients. And if someone was in need, he would uh, work on them. Uh, was he violating the Sabbath? Well, in one sense, he was going about his weekly employment. But on the other hand, uh, it was an act of mercy. It was necessary for the well-being of his patients. And if an emergency arose on Sunday... Uh, somebody injured, somebody sick, would he have pleased God by saying, I'm sorry, you'll just have to suffer, and if you make it till tomorrow, then uh, I'll, I'll check on you then. Well, of course not. doesn't please God. No mercy there. Uh, J.C. Ryle, the, uh, the uh, 
Church of England minister in the 1800s, later Bishop of Liverpool, he says this, Jesus lays down a great principle that no ordinance of God is to be pressed so far as to make us neglect the plain duties of charity. There's compassion in that context. The fourth commandment is not to be so explained as to make us unkind and unmerciful to our neighbor. And so, yes, Jesus says it is lawful to do good to others on the Sabbath. So Jesus has taught a couple of things here. One, we may meet our own needs on the Lord's day. Two, we may act to meet the needs of others on the Lord's day. But it's important to recognize here what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, ignore the Sabbath day. Jesus did not say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament thing. That no longer applies. You don't need to pay any attention to that commandment anymore. You see, Jesus himself never violated the fourth commandment, rightly understood. He violated the Pharisees' rules, but he never violated the fourth commandment, and he never allows us to violate it either. He simply clarified that picking some grain to eat was not a violation of the Sabbath. And he simply clarified that doing good to other people is not a violation of the Sabbath. And he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who ordained it. He's the one who rested on that seventh day. He's the one to whom it points. Now, I recognize that a passage like this and a sermon like this can raise all kinds of questions, you know, again, about the Lord's day. Can, can I do this? Can we do that? You know, should we watch TV? Should we go out to eat? Should we do this or that or the other? Well, I'm reluctant to be too specific because the Bible itself isn't, and you fall into the very same trap as the Pharisees did. There is something of a tension here, and there is something of an of, of, of a area that's left up to conscience before God. Because as soon as we start saying, yes, you can do that, this, yes, you may not do that, we tend to get where the Pharisees were, who were trying to eliminate the tension by specifying it very clearly in black and white, exactly what you could, exactly what you could not do. And you wind up into that same trap. Now, it's one thing to say, you know, in my conscience, this is what I will do. This is what I will not do on the Lord's day. And in good conscience before God, in study of the scriptures, I've arrived at this position. You know, and this is my position. I would not hold you to that. For example, we don't turn our computer on on Sunday. Usually, sometimes we will late at night, uh, Sunday night, because uh, Barbara gets some emails about school that need to know for the next day. But typically we don't. Uh, now, if I came up and said, well, you know, if you turn your computer on and check your email on Sunday, you have violated the fourth commandment. No, you haven't. You've violated a particular application of it that we have uh, that works for us. It gives us a break from it, and it's just kind of nice. You know, our computer enjoys its Sabbath rest, too. Uh, so we have to be careful not to go specifying particular things. But let me ask some, some bigger questions that I think are more appropriate questions to ask than the details of what I can do and what I can't do. Questions like this. How can I best glorify and enjoy God on this day he's given me? How can I use this day to further my own growth in grace? How can I use this day that God has given me to be refreshed physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as spiritually for the week to come? Let me say this, if you love God, if you love the Lord with all your heart, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not go far astray in answering those questions. But I will say this, the day will tend to go where your heart is. The day will tend to go where your heart is. Sadly, too many Christians seem to run from God as quickly as they can on the Lord's day and end up farther from him at the end of the day 
than they were at its beginning. And so Jesus healed the man because it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, the final verse, 14, tells us their response. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. What does that tell you? It tells you they were more angry about what Jesus did than they were happy this man had been healed. They couldn't rejoice the man's hand was well. He could use his hand again. Nothing more said of that. They were so angry at Jesus, they wanted to murder him. Why? Why would a debate over what or is or is not permissible on the Sabbath lead to their wanting to kill Jesus? Well, here's why. Because Jesus exposed them. He exposed their superficial, legalistic ways. He challenged their greater concern for their rules and having their own way than any concern for people and their well-being. Jesus exposed them. Jesus wouldn't play their game. Jesus wouldn't kowtow to their regulations. And like self-righteous people everywhere, when others won't meet their particular standards, they get very angry with them. And in this case, they wanted to kill Jesus. But Jesus wasn't violating the Sabbath, and he certainly wasn't abolishing the Sabbath. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. I mentioned him earlier. The Sabbath stands. He puts it this way. Let us take care that we do not make our gracious Lord's teaching an excuse for Sabbath profanation. It's profaning it. Let us not abuse the liberty which he has so clearly marked out for us and pretend that we do things on the Sabbath from necessity and mercy, which in reality we do for our own selfish gratification. The plain truth is this. Our Lord did not abolish the law of the weekly Sabbath. He only freed it from incorrect interpretations, purified it from man-made additions. He did not tear out of the Decalogue, that is the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Fourth Commandment. He only stripped off the miserable traditions with which the Pharisees had encrusted the day and by which they had made it not a blessing, but a burden. You see, on the one hand, there's the Pharisees' tradition of, of so heaping up burdens on the Lord's Day to drain it of any joy, But there's also, shall I say, the American tradition of so ignoring the Lord's day to drain it of any blessing. The truth is more in the middle. The fourth commandment is more in the middle. Now, personally, if you take public transportation to arrive here on the Lord's day, if that is a help to you to get to worship and obey the commandment of the Lord, to worship on the Lord's day, I'm okay with that. Uh, I personally don't mind if you whistle on Sunday. And I don't like movies on Sunday either, but I'm not going to join you and go throwing a brick through any windows. However, the Lord's Day is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to draw us near to God. It's meant to be a day to rest from our labors and employments of the week. It's meant to be a day in which we're a blessing to others. And how that works out in many ways has to be a matter of your conscience before God. But let me ask you this. What difference would it make in your Christian life if you kept it that way? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the Lord's day. And Lord, we recognize our sinful tendency to take the good things you've given us and to divide over them, uh, to misunderstand them, to misuse them. Sometimes, Lord, turning them around to be the very opposite of what you intended them to be. And Lord, we confess too often we do that with the Lord's day, either through too much strictness in our application of the commandment or, Lord, just too much laxity in, in ignoring the commandment. 
Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom so that the Lord's Day would be a day we look forward to. Most of all, Father, give us a heart that loves you, that desires you, that desires to be with you, not run from you. Father, a day that if given, a heart that if given a day, Lord, would choose to be with you, to be with your people, to be in your presence, to be in your worship than anywhere else on earth. Father, give us not just a day, but give us a heart for you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.